A reading from Acts 16, 6 through 40. Paul, Timothy, and Silas went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We made voyage to Philippi, a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we, were su- where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Trembling with fear, the jailer fell down before Paul and Silas. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and departed. Amen. Well, thank you, sweet daughter. You did a wonderful job of a very long passage. Good morning, church family. 
I am really excited to, to be covering this incredibly rich and amazing passage with you today. But first, I'd like to open in prayer. Father God, my prayer today is for your word to have the power of an earthquake so that everyone here may see your beauty, that hearts are touched and lives changed forever. Your kingdom come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Acts 16 is just bursting with examples of how powerful the gospel is for setting captives free. My take-home for you today is... God uses unlikely people in unlikely ways to accomplish unimaginable freedom. What a gift. What an honor. What an adventure. Much like a military campaign, God has already sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch to begin the gospel's incursion into Africa. Today we will see God's strategic and unusual initiative for the gospel's march into Europe. I think it's helpful to think of the book of Acts in military terms, for the word of God is clear that you and I are involved in an epic spiritual battle, a battle with a certain conclusion, but one that will involve every continent and every nation. The Bible tells us that Satan is a roaring lion, prowling about seeking someone to devour. Every time I preach, I'm reminded of this fact because of the spiritual attack I come under. Unfortunately, this sermon was no different. Preparing has been an honor and a challenge, a joy and a trial. You see, Saturday a week ago on our back porch, overwhelmed by the thought of preaching, praying for God to take this cup from me, I was talking to my husband. You see, years ago in this very church, I took a preaching course and I discovered a love for crafting and delivering messages. I used to yearn for and adore the opportunity to write and speak to you in large groups or small. But in recent years, my joy in speaking has been attacked, so much so that I was literally wanting to punt one week out last Saturday. I'd already done a week's worth of diligent research and prayer and writing, but this passage is so powerful, distilling it into one message was overwhelming. But as John and I prayed and talked on the back porch, something unusual happened. Lifting my head from my hands, I saw a large bird that I've never seen before in my life land in our backyard. John, look, I think that's a roadrunner. He and I had heard of them, but had never seen one in our 14 years in Austin. We watched this regal bird strut across our yard, majestically pose for us, hop up on the fence, and disappear. Well, I was desperate for encouragement, so I thought this must be a sign from God. (laughs) I grabbed my phone and Google roadrunner. The Lord is so good. I was immediately ministered to. You see, roadrunners mate for life, they build their nests together, and they are hunters of serpents and scorpions. As I read that to my mate for life, he took my hand and he prayed for me to calm down and grow and flourish in my role as snake killer. It's no coincidence that the possessed slave girl in today's scripture is described to have had the demonic spirit of the pythoness. So encouraged by this, this beautiful sign from the Lord, John and I took a long walk. I downloaded to him all the amazing things I've been learning and the revelations the Lord has been sharing with me, and he helped me build this message. On that walk together, my mate for life and I teared up 
at the beauty of working together to present God's word to you, the church we love so much. As unlikely people, often in unlikely ways, God wants to use each of us to accomplish unimaginable freedom for others through the transforming power of the gospel. This is the story of Acts 16, as we look at a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. You see, before Paul's radical encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, he would have commonly prayed this prayer of the Pharisee, God, thank you that I am not a Gentile or a slave or a woman. But Jesus entered his life and flipped that script. This former Pharisee is sent by God into Europe to advance his kingdom and didn't send him to the regal or to a bureaucrat, but rather to the unlikely trio of a woman, a slave, and a Gentile jailer. Paul, having been set free, then risks everything to set others free too. God always expects a return on his investment. How are we using our freedom to set others free? Our story finds Paul in a battle. He's just been dealing with the Judaizers. He's been delivering the the decree of the Jerusalem council. And now he's fighting and separating from Barnabas, his dear friend and brother on mission. God's not helping out by keeping changing his plans. Asia was a no-go. Bithynia got shut down as well. Anyone who waxes nostalgic about the idyllic first century church hasn't read Acts very carefully. But then at last, Paul does receive a clear and heavenly visitation, a vision of a Macedonian man begging him to come and help. To quote Jack Sparrow, they had their heading. They're off to Macedonia, to Europe, to go and help that poor man. How confusing it must have been when they got to Philippi and could only find women. You see, Paul's method was to go into a city and start preaching at a synagogue. But to have a synagogue, you have to have at least 10 Jewish men in the city. There weren't enough. So, with no official synagogue as a gathering place, he knew that if there were any Yahweh-fearing people in Philippi, they would be gathered by a river outside the city and praying on the Sabbath. I love God's sense of humor, because when Paul finally finds a flock to preach to on the shores of Europe, it's only a group of women. Enter Lydia. How I love Lydia. We don't know tons about her, but what we know really rocks. I think it's intentional that we don't know if she's married or has children. What I love about her is that every woman in here can relate to her, not because she was a wife or a mother, but because she was a faithful, diligent, and generous and hospitable woman of God. Whether you are married, single, in the marketplace, or operating primarily out of the home, you can relate to Lydia. She's the first convert to the church at Philippi, the church that becomes Paul's most beloved, famous for its generosity and faithfulness to the gospel message. We don't know if she was Jewish or Gentile, but we do know that she was drawn by God to these worshiping women by the river. We know that she was a prominent businesswoman, a seller of luxurious purple goods. We know that the Lord used Paul's words to open her heart and lovingly move her from understanding to transformation. Some people come to know Christ as their Savior all at once, but others need time to listen and ponder and come back for more as God puts all of the pieces in place. Well, the pieces all fell into place for Lydia that day, and as a public testimony, she was baptized. Wow, the Lord.
The opener of hearts chose for the first opened heart in Europe to be a businesswoman with no mention of a husband or children. And yet she did have some type of a household and they received the Lord and are baptized too. She then urges Paul and his weary brothers on mission to come and be refreshed in her house. The scriptures say she prevailed upon the men. Basically, she twisted their arms to come and stay with her. She didn't just open her heart. She opened her home. Now, ladies and gentlemen, not many of us have callings and tribulations to go through like Paul, but most of us in here have a home, and a home is a powerful weapon in the advancement of the gospel. I encourage you to open yours. Forget about decorating and organizational perfection. People are so relieved when they realize that you have messes and embrace them too, that you're normal. Home is where real life and growth together happen. Now, when I go, I tend to go big, so we have actually had many different young women live with us over the years while my kids were little. The most beautiful part was that they weren't like us. They were all from this church, but they were Latina or African-American. There's nothing like sharing daily life to knit different lives together. They loved my kids like big sisters, and John and I loved them like our little sisters. My kids got to grow up being loved on by people who had different life experiences. This was a powerful and precious example to our children of the power of the kingdom to build strong and diverse church family. Lydia knew the power of the home, and she used it to bless Paul and his men. It was a gift the guys would soon deeply appreciate because their living conditions were about to get a lot worse. Enter the slave girl. Now, she's an interesting one. Let's start with her status in first century society. A female slave the lowest of the low. But she has a gift. The original Greek behind the phrase had a spirit reveals the horror of what she was involved in. Literally reading had a Pythian spirit, a spirit of Python. She was basically a clairvoyant owned by spiritual pimps who exploited her metaphysical powers. What fascinates me, though, is that she and her spirit harassed Paul not by predicting the future, but simply by proclaiming the truth. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She harasses them for days. At first I wondered why they ignore her for so long, but when Paul finally gets so annoyed that he delivers her of her Pythian spirit, well, all hell breaks loose. We begin to understand why he put it off. Her newly found joy and freedom from demonic bondage is what lands him and Silas straight in a first century Roman jail. You see, we need to be brave. Because when the Lord uses us to set captives free, the enemy doesn't take it lying down. Her owners are enraged. Whenever the preaching of the gospel touches the economic structure of the powers that be, opposition is bound to come. Now, I've had personal experience with a clairvoyant or a psychic. She foretold the most traumatic and terrible experience of my life so far. You see, eight years ago, my father lost his fortune. His solution was to end my stepmother's and his life on a Sunday night in September 2009. After their murder-suicide, we learned that a business associate to whom he owed a large amount of money had consulted his psychic. He wanted to know if my father would ever pay the money back. In August, August of 2009, 
She told this man that he would never get the money back, and in fact, my father and stepmother would be dead soon. They died that next month. She spoke the truth, but it brought no freedom. Now that same Sunday, September 20th, 2009, that morning, my family was here worshiping. It was a morning of unusual spiritual intensity. We had many people asked to be spontaneously baptized. To our surprise, one of them was our daughter Lily. She was seven years old. She absolutely insisted that she must be baptized that very morning. So her daddy baptized her, and she rose out of that water, proclaiming to all the freedom of Christ and her new joy of growing from glory to glory. That psych. Ah. That psychic might have known the terrible truth of my father's choices on the evening of September 20th, but the spirit of Jesus spoke clearly and forcefully in my child's heart of her need to publicly and spiritually reclaim that Sunday for her mama's heart. The Holy Spirit used her faithfulness to break chains in my life before the enemy could even form them. Oh, how he likes to use unlikely people in unlikely ways to accomplish unimaginable freedom. Well, that was a remarkable moment in the life of my family, and that day must have been a remarkable moment in the life of the slave girl, the Pythoness. She was restored to her right mind, and, we hope, received Christ as her Lord and Savior. Again, God's power had worked a miracle. The people of Philippi were now completely galvanized, which meant that Paul and Silas were in deep, deep trouble. The scripture tells us how the slave girl's owners drag Paul and Silas to the marketplace and accuse them of disturbing the peace before the magistrates. A mob forms and beats them mercilessly and then sends them off to jail. Their ministry of freedom to the lowest of the low had now landed them in the darkness and foulness of the inner regions of a first century colonial Roman jail. Severely beaten and wounded, They also now have their feet put into stocks. First century stocks were instruments of torture as well as confinement. They were made of wood bound with holes for the feet. They were stretched apart then, more or less apart, according to how painful the torturer wanted to make the punishment. I couldn't help but think of Romans 10.15 when I read about their feet being in stocks. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and what profound lengths the enemy will go to to try and keep those feet in stocks. But do you know what's so much more profound? Paul and Silas's response to this terrible situation. Take a moment and imagine the reality of that night. The darkness. The vermin-infested jail cell. The vile smells. The outcast criminal company they were keeping. The pain of the stocks and the aching injuries they'd received in the marketplace. And yet, here they are, praying and singing about Jesus, their Savior, to what had to be the amazement of the other prisoners and guards. They had begun their day setting the slave girl free from demonic bondage and were ending their day performing Europe's first gospel music concert in prison. You see, their heart realities, the realest of realities, far exceeded their miserable, natural circumstances, and worship flowed out of them. How God is glorified when we allow the bigness of his presence in our lives to block out the misery that surrounds us so often. 
and then we are led to worship. Oh, the precious power of that fragrant aroma wafting to our Heavenly Father. Hear me now. There are people here today that are locked in prison cells of failing relationships, finances, or character, or psyches. But my friends, I have good news. Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is here to set you free, just as he set Paul and Silas free 2,000 years ago. Paul and Silas unimaginably could not help but worship God in the middle of a nasty first century Roman jail, demonstrating a faith that must have seemed both strange and amazing and ultimately life-changing to the prisoners and guards that night. These men had no reason to expect a miracle. They knew God had delivered Peter, but Stephen and James had been martyred. These faithful witnesses didn't know what was going to happen, but they sang God's praises anyway. They sang that night because of their love for their Savior Jesus and the joy of spreading his message. They sang because they rightly knew that they were prisoners of Christ by choice and not of Rome by force. They sang because their song set people free. And now, enter the Gentile. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. What a crazy night in Philippi. Europe's first Christian music concert literally brings the house down. And now we have the Gentile jailer waking not only to the terror of an earthquake, but laying his eyes on all of the jail doors being open, and he sees no one escaping. This had to mean they were all already gone. According to Roman law, his failure to secure his prisoners meant his own life would be ended, and brutally. Apparently, he preferred to do it himself, rather than the way he knew Rome would. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. It is absolutely amazing to me to imagine that every single prisoner in that terrible place had stayed put. They had been supernaturally freed of cell and shackle, but no one moved, and no guard was attacked. It's brought me great joy to think on this passage. Too often I've read it, and I've flown right to the jailer's conversion. But if we do that, we miss treasure. How powerful the presence of God must have been in that place that night. How incredible that being handed their freedom on a platter, not one person chose to flee. I like to think that they stayed put because they were so richly in the presence of God, already experiencing the freedom that is part of his very nature, so much so that they didn't even notice the physical shackles that fell off and the doors that swung open. Like Peter walking on water, so in the presence of his Savior, that he saw beyond the undulating and infirm water to a reality that could literally be walked on, the call of his master and savior. Well, like all encounters with the presence of God, the jailer's whole world had been turned upside down. What an impact this has on the jailer, having fallen asleep to the sound of prayers and songs, waking to the horror of an earthquake and escaped prisoners and certain death. Now he asks the question of all questions. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Please note the wonderful irony here. The jailer is asking his prisoners how he might be saved, 
how he can be set free from the bondage to sin and death. Paul responds so beautifully. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. The Gentile jailer and his entire household are baptized that night. With much joy and love, they bring Paul and Silas into their home. They tend to their wounds, and they throw a big old party. The power of God in accepting Christ as Savior and Lord has now turned the jailer and torturer into a brother and binder of wounds. What a wonderful picture of the gospel of our risen Savior, binding everything together in love. Oh, how he uses unlikely people in unlikely ways to accomplish unimaginable freedom. And now, dawn breaks. The magistrates send the police with a message to release the men. The jailer delivers this news to the men with joy, but it turns to surprise when Paul gets stubborn. He plays the citizenship citizenship card. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. As such, they never should have been imprisoned without proper legal proceedings. Paul demands that the magistrates come to publicly escort them as uncondemned men from the jail. Paul's stubborn demand serves a greater purpose. He didn't want the idea to stand that he and Silas are lawbreakers. A public escort from jail by the ruling magistrates would mean that it would publish their innocence. And that would bring protection to the newly planted little church at Philippi. I love how this passage ends. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and departed. Where do Paul and Silas go? They go to Lydia's, to the home where the new believers were gathering together for community and spiritual growth, where there are now not only women, but brothers. Men have been added to the new church. And what a church it is. Lydia the merchant and her household, the ex-Pythoness, the Philippian jailer and his household, and probably many of the ex-inmates from that extraordinary night in the jail, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, male and female were all one in Christ. The flag of the gospel was unfurled and beginning the march west toward Rome. Now as I wrap up, I want to send you off with some sacred homework. Lily and I attended a seminar on evangelism last week. We learned that lots of Christians have difficulty giving non-believers a clear, concise explanation of the gospel. So I'm sharing with each of you today a simple definition of the gospel that you can memorize to help strengthen you in sharing your faith. If you take one note down today, make this the one that goes home with you. And in fact, I'd like you to read it together with me now up on the screens. The gospel is the good news that God became human in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to everyone who repents and believes in him. Brothers and sisters, we have an amazing Savior who commissioned us to share his good news and make disciples in every nation, to set the captives free. We are the unlikely people he uses in unlikely ways to accomplish unimaginable freedom. 
I want the examples of Paul and Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, to inspire each of us to greater boldness in sharing the reason for our joy and our peace and our hope with those who are all around us. I want to end this message by returning to the sign of the roadrunner. That morning, everything about that bird was alert and steadfast and purposeful. It was on the prowl and equipped for battle. We should be so equipped. But our method of warfare is sharing the gospel in love. His word says that we do not have a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and discipline, and that everything is bound together by love. If you're here today and have never repented of your sins and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please come down after the service. We will have prayer partners here who would love to pray with you wherever you are in your journey. And now... Church family, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, please help us run and finish our race as well. I pray that every one of us leaves this building today inspired by your Holy Spirit and eager to share your message, full of the power and love and discipline that changes lives forever. Thank you that you use unlikely people in unlikely ways to accomplish your unimaginable freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.